Welcome to Orthopod, a podcast about the people of orthopedics and their stories. We understand that we all play many roles in our careers and lives, and it is these very stories that ultimately inform our successes and failures. Hi everyone, it's Mo Bendari. Welcome to Orthopod. And in studio today, we have Karet Dinsa. Karet Dinsa is a postdoctoral fellow in artificial intelligence and healthcare. He's affiliated currently with the Department of Surgery at McMaster University, as well as the Vector Institutes for AI in Toronto. Hi, Karet. How are you hey, doing? How's it going? And welcome. Good to see you. So, what's on your mind these days? Uh, I think a lot of what's on my mind is actually how in Canada we have such a hard time actually implementing AI in healthcare. Okay, well, let's. This is a big pet peeve of mine. As okay, you might okay. Know. <laughs> okay, so let's take a step back because I mean, I think we can dive deeper into this. Let me first ask you the question What is AI? And is AI and machine learning and deep learning and a host of other synonyms that people throw around who maybe yeah. aren't as knowledgeable as you are in the area? Can you give me some idea of what all this means for those who are out there who may not be as versed in it as you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, AI is kind of this broad, amorphous and increasingly confusing term, I yeah. think. Um, classically, AI meant computer systems that emulated human logic and reasoning and that kind of thing which is not generally what we mean by AI anymore. We're talking about a subset of AI called machine learning. So machine learning is a subset of AI, which instead of being programmed to emulate human logic, instead tries to learn patterns and rules from raw data. And deep learning is a subset of machine learning, which uses these really large neural network type things, as uh, probably a lot of people have heard of. So it's just a specific technique for implementing uh, machine learning. And it has certain advantages in terms of there's less that you need to pre-compute about the data. There's less you need to know about the data. There's more that the system can learn from the raw data itself. So uh, AI, as we call it today, is really you know sets of algorithms and techniques for learning patterns and rules from data um, so that you can do certain kinds of tasks, like predicting, does this person have pneumonia from this x-ray right. image? Right, right. Well, let me ask you this then. Everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody. It seems that everybody who's doing research or is in the entrepreneurial tech side is throwing around the term machine learning, AI, deep learning, neural networks, all the things you've mentioned. And I have a hard time believing that everybody who's throwing this term around, like everyone's doing it, is actually doing it to the same quality. So can you give me some insight around, let's say you have 100 people who talk about their group doing AI, that type of research, realistically, how do you fraction down to those who are really, really trying to solve the, the, the meaningful problems versus those that are using it optically to get funding or do other things that, you know, quote, are part of the um, culture right now? The same way for those of you who um, are in healthcare would understand, you know, the same way everyone was talking about evidence-based medicine. Well, we're all doing EBM. But when you dig deeper, the majority of people, 90% weren't doing EBM, but they were using the branding of EBM to help them brand themselves. Yeah, so it's a very good question. It's something that we definitely talk about in the field. Um, let, let's think about it this way. So modern AI or machine learning kind of came about in the late 80s, early 90s with Jeff Hinton. So okay. U of T was kind of the seed for a lot of modern machine learning techni- uh, techniques. Okay. And now is he associated with the Vector Institute yes, then? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and so the Vector Institute kind of comes from his... the same group of people who they were previously his PhD students. Right. And I think he's the chief scientific advisor. Okay. Something, I don't remember his exact title, yeah, which right. I probably should. But, right, right. Um, but... Uh, 
at that time, it wasn't really a popular technique. It wasn't very widely used. It's really in the last maybe five to 10 years that modern machine learning or AI has become widely used and of interest. So when you hear so many people talking about that they do AI and they use AI. So you say, like, so what you, like, so it was around for about 10 years before it got really popular? Yeah. So, I mean, very similar to what happened with evidence-based medicine and surgery. Very similar. It's a, a very right. similar pathway, actually. Right. So if you think about it, how many people can actually be using AI or modern machine learning when it's really such a new thing, right? There right. aren't that many people who've had their training uh, right. in that scientifically. So if you say there are a hundred people who say, about it. yeah, they say we do AI. Yeah. In my experience, I would say roughly half of them are actually doing something AI related. Okay. And so out of a hundred people, 50 people immediately are discarded in terms of, I mean, yeah. the reality is, and we get to, well, how do you know who's doing the real thing? I'll get to that. But okay. So you get, you're down to 50 people. Yeah. Of the 50 people doing AI, surely there must be levels and quality of the types of questions people are asking. Right. Exactly. So there's a lot of people who will take, who will download, uh, pre-trained model developed by some AI researcher for some other problem okay and then just apply it to some new data okay right so you're not you're in you're interacting with AI you're engaging with AI but you're not doing AI you're not doing AI research okay right you're saying here's some AI someone else developed can it solve my problem as well got it okay right? and isn't a lot of it um, again coming from someone who's naive and I'm asking questions from that perspective it seems like there's a lot of just regression analyses happening. The same way we yeah, think yeah. in statistics, right? Well, we're running a bunch of regressions and we're calling that machine learning. But I, I, was, gonna, I was about to go back to that. Those 50% of people that I kind of discarded right away, yeah. um, and maybe some of them will be mad at me, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think what's going on there is that a ton of people who do regression analysis, logistic regression, yeah, right. that kind of thing, now say they do AI, right? Okay. And that's not what we mean by AI, but... Those statistical techniques right. kind of solve a similar kind of problem. Right. Um, and there's a relationship between that and machine learning. Right. Well, right? I, you, you can see because in a regression analysis, you're trying to develop an algorithm and a, and a formula that then you can then plop into new, to new inputs. Yes. But, you know, it's... So like, the line between statistics and AI is blurred yeah. in that region. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. And AI is a sister field of statistics Got and it. derives yeah. a lot from statistics. So it makes a lot of sense, but... I think everybody knows when we're talking about AI, we're not really talking about linear regression. Got right? it. Right, right, right. It's okay. just that a lot of people, it, they will upsell that way. Okay, so then what are the other, okay, so in the 50% that are doing something related to AI, some are borrowing it, you know, borrowing AI algorithms and applying it. What are some of the other things people are doing in that area? Like what are some of the other, quote, low-hanging fruit project, types of projects that people do in AI that still may not represent where you believe the future is going and what we need to do. And then that gets to your opening statement about yeah. where do we go. So I think probably out of those people, there's the half of them who are actually doing real AI research, I would say. Something like that. That's okay. just my rough estimation. Okay. And so one in of those people, four, right? Yeah, something like overall. one in four. Yeah. 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 And a lot of what's going on there is we have a bunch of images, so image data on you know ultrasound or whatever yeah, on a specific answers. organ, yeah, images, and yeah. let's see if this uh, we can develop an algorithm that solves a very specific problem, like can we diagnose you know pneumonia, like I said, from right. X-ray images of the chest, right? And the chest X-rays generally have to come from a similar source or be normalized and standardized in a certain way. But but let so, me ask you this question while you're on that topic of any sort of the the, the computer trying to predict right or wrong from a from from a, an x-ray 
what's the gold standard? Is the gold standard a human making a judgment? Because if the gold standard is always a human making a judgment, I don't. It's a flawed. It's flawed. Like it's in, a in the principle, huge problem because humans field. are hugely variable yeah. and they can be wrong as many times as they're right. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's the biggest problem with AI in healthcare right okay. now is that we don't have a gold standard, right? Yeah. Because clinicians don't have a gold standard. Right. They themselves are the gold standard. In right. Way, so right? that's a big challenge. Right? Yeah, it's a big challenge. The best that people have been able to come up with is to get multiple clinicians to sure. label the same data. Right. Which, of course, is really laborious, right? Right. You yeah. can't have, you know, 10 clinicians go through and label the same data set, which right. is thousands and thousands of images. Um, so we haven't really figured out how to do better than that. Um, there are some ideas, but I haven't really seen anyone do it in a meaningful really way. Really get beyond that. Okay. Well, now let's then jump right back to your opening statement, which is your frustration and challenge about doing AI research in Canada, for example, but you know, I'm yeah. sure it applies beyond Canada. What is that challenge? The challenge is how do we access the data? Okay. Right? So, so quality data. The, the, so data quality is a big problem, and I think that's a problem everywhere. It's not particularly a Canadian problem, right? but it's a, it's a problem for, I think, healthcare in particular, because we've been collecting data for years now. Many yeah. years, Well, decades. people talk about it all the time, right? Like, like, don't, like, correct. People say, well, you know, we're getting these massive tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of data entry points from the EMR system, right? The electronic medical yeah. record from various hospital systems. And we're going to be able to, you know, create algorithms and predict and help physicians and healthcare yeah. providers make things. So why is that a flawed So I approach? think it's, it's very misleading because, uh, first of all, the different hospitals collect the data in different ways. Right. They have different standards. They have different tools and techniques right. for collecting the data. And I think the most telling thing is that there have been some studies that have shown that, um, at least with their data, when they collect it from multiple hospitals, it's easier for the, the AI to tell which hospital the data came from than whether it represents someone who has a disease or not. Right? Wow. Okay. So that's one huge problem. Right. Another huge problem Can, is that problem fixable? Like, so I'm get I'm get, I'm getting the answer is probably yeah. yes and no. But yeah. you know, usually when you have big data sets with you know, you can impute potential values. You can do everything you can. Never the same as saying a quality data set collected at the beginning is the best scenario. But can you? make it better? I think in a limited way there's some opportunity to try and standardize the data yeah. post-talk using right. statistical techniques, okay. but I think that's very limited. The The differences are so large between uh, hospitals, I should say, yeah. and health institutions that you won't be able to get beyond that uh, to really fix it, right? That I think the solution has to come at the policy level, and that has to be in two ways. First, we need policies that allow us to share data. A, between hospitals and B, between uh, with hospitals and researchers, because it's extremely difficult right now. And two, the solution has to be that we need policies that standardize the way we collect healthcare data, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would think that would be the, 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 the critical issue is that are we collecting the same data and are we collecting it with the same degree of rigor and quality so it can be used for future. So then, so then when um, who, what groups right now do you believe have the right data? Like, what is a good data set? Is there one that exists that people say, oh, yeah, that, that's an example of a great data set, and we understand that? Because, you know, right now, you know, data, um, is, it's everywhere. And I yeah. believe, I think I've heard numerous times, you know, in the uh, entrepreneurial field, you know, speculators get out there and say, the new oil in the world is data. Yeah. That is it. They who own quality data have all the power and I see the what we're seeing ripple effects of having the large data sets that are held in the social media outlets 
being broken down because they have too much yeah. control, too much power. But are they the best data sets right now, or are there other places? In the social media world? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably, okay. because it's real-world data, right? right? So in machine learning, in the healthcare space, there's something called the MIMIC data set, MIMIC-3, and MIMIC, these are okay. kind of curated healthcare data sets. Right, I, I right, believe right, that right. come from the U.S., right? Okay. And the issue there is that when we've developed algorithms that work really well in this data set, they don't translate that well over to real-world data okay. because they're, the data is just too clean, too curated, right? right, right real right. healthcare data is messy, and we need to figure out ways to get beyond this messiness to deal with that right, right. Okay. which could be you know you have uh, someone wearing a sensor at home and they rub up against the wall and the sensor gets displaced a little bit or they take it off because they, it's yeah. bothering them right, right 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 all that kind of stuff right we don't wow. really have wow. good ways wow. of dealing with that yeah, it's like yeah. to detect that in the data right 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 oh that's fascinating okay so from your research personally what are you working on right now um, and what challenges or what challenge are you trying to overcome what is your what is okay. your piece in this big puzzle? So my big challenge is getting access to data in the first place. Okay, okay, but, okay. So given that we have access to some data sets, right. Uh, uh, right now I'm kind of in a position where I, other than data I collect, which yeah. is mostly neuroscientific data, okay. I'm working on data sets that whatever is people share with me, right? So the big one I'm working on now is um, an ultrasound kidney data set yep. on prenatal hydronephrosis. So okay. Uh, swelling of the kidney yep. due to inability to release fluid. And the same sort of thing, using the approach to identify uh, patients at, at risk or a diagnosis, or what are you trying to sort out? Uh, to basically give a severity score okay. uh, for how far along this okay. uh, disorder is and try to predict, are they going to get better on their own? Do they right. need surgery? That kind of thing. Okay. Um, the clinician who shared the data with me uh, wrote in a paper that basically we're as good as a coin flip in terms of deciding whether someone should have surgery. And these are infants, right? Wow. Whether this newborn child should have surgery or not. Wow. Um, wow. Which is quite scary. And again, the best we have the, in terms of the ground truth is the clinician's reporting of what the right. results are. Right. right? Um, with respect to that, it looks like our model our model does better. Okay. But personally, I'm not that comfortable putting it into real world practice because I don't really know how to trust whether you know the model is good compared to what the clinician has yeah. decided. But is that really true? And it seems to be like a false narrative story, which is you know the media gets out and says you know our computer is going to replace humans. But right. if yeah. but how I guess again intellectually how can if the human is the gold standard, how can anything be better than what you're already setting as the standard? Right now, the, the yeah. challenge is when they differ in in their opinion. If the computer is truly learning, it may have outlearned the human, but we're never going to make that assessment. We're always going to say, "Well, the gold standard must be what we think, yeah. and this must be wrong." And that is, I think, the, one of the personally, I just I find that to be the challenge with. I think how there's to a middle phase that yeah. we can use to get through that barrier and okay. that is you have a clinician working with an AI yes and the AI is basically a second doctor giving a second opinion got it right and yes. you need ways for the AI to say this is why I think this person has, has this so that's disorder a requires different this level like so when you talk about yeah. low-hanging fruit of just making x-ray evaluations the next level that really is is really becoming integrated with a decision-making yeah. report almost back to you to say, you know, this is this is like a second, truly a second opinion. Which yeah. is so something I'm really interested in yeah. is the symbiosis or the right. synergy between a human and an AI. Right. And this kind of goes back to my PhD work, which is right. actually on brain-computer interfacing. Okay. So the idea there is you have an AI or a machine learning algorithm learning to read someone's brain activity in right. real time so that they can control a computer application. Fascinating. So the human has to learn how to control the AI 
And the AI has to learn how to control the human in a way, to control each other's outputs. Right. So you have to create this synergy between them. And I would like to see or find ways to develop that same synergy in the healthcare uh, system, which would be a clinician working with an AI. Getting that done in practice is very difficult because once you have the algorithm, you say, okay, we can start testing this and putting this, pair this up with some clinicians. You don't really get a lot of traction. You don't get people who are actually interested in doing it. And this is what uh, frustrates me about the Canadian system. Because in the U.S., people are doing it. Yes. Right? We developed a lot of the AI technology. But it's being exported to the U.S., it sounds like. Yeah. We're we're famous in the world for developing AI, but we don't use it. We're going to be the last country in the world to use it, it feels like. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, we have to change that. And we have to get you back at Orthopod for a follow-up to get more insight on the work you're doing. And maybe what we might do is we might do a deeper dive in one of your projects uh, next time we have you visit. So, you know... Please, again, uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Densa uh, Corette, for uh, supporting us at Orthopod and giving us new insight to understanding this very rapidly evolving area of uh, AI in healthcare. Thanks so much. Yeah, Appreciate no it. And just to say, I am optimistic, though it might not sound like it. Oh, I, I think you're very optimistic. <laughs> critical, I think, but optimistic. I think you're a realist, right? And the realist means you got to deal with the challenges. So, yeah, exactly. absolutely. Thank you very much. I'm sure you've been called this, but you look like the, you look like, well, what the hell is that? Wait, you look like the Indian Fabio. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, <laughs> you do look like the Indian, like, so how, when I saw you the first time, I said, how, like, so how have you, how long have you had long hair? Uh, yeah, since I was a teenager. It was basically like, I think I was maybe 16 and I just stopped going to the barber. And then by the time I was 19, I realized my hair stopped growing. And I was like, so what's the point of getting my hair cut? Like, just I, I just don't pay for a haircut. But surely, though. like, surely, <laughs> like, now, like, if you look at it now, right? And I, and I mean, like, cool. Like, the, so I thought when I first met, I said, I said, you know, he must have, like, a, a like, you must be part of a rock band at night. <laughs> something, something, right? Like, so what kind of music do you like? Or what, what do you... Uh, so, yeah, a lot of people don't know that I, my first major was in classical music. Classical music. Yeah. So um, what did you... Like, but what I was, actually yeah. am mostly into, like, metal. Like, progressive rock, progressive metal. Okay, so what were your earlier influences to where you are now? Uh, like high school days or earlier school. in terms of music yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so I listened to like Wynton Marsalis like Chet Baker a lot of the jazz oh wow like, yeah okay so that's yeah, not yeah. The, okay. I mean Dizzy Gillespie yes yeah, right, right, right Armstrong yeah uh, I was a trumpet player so okay, if you it. haven't figured that yeah, out yeah, okay, got it yeah. but that is not heavy metal so no no like, it so isn't. when did that happen um, you know what? I don't even really necessarily know. I think I, I listened to a lot of like the early '90s grunge because I had an older sister. Oh, okay, so, so like, by the time I so was Nirvana, like six or seven years Nirvana old, I was out. listening to Nirvana when I was six or right, seven. Right, 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 right. So Red Hot Chili Peppers and those kind Soundgarden. of Soundgarden. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess when you was start there, with music, that let me young, say this, was there a song that just connected with you? It's like this is it. Like this, I, everything about this particular band and song. This is it. Like, yeah, I actually, totally get it. there's a Japanese metal band with a song called Art of Life. Okay. Uh, which are one of the most mind-blowing, like, prog metal bands. What's the name of the band? X-Japan. And they're, like, X-Japan. an 80s, like, they kind of introduced metal and, and rock or hard right, rock right, to Japan. Right. right. Um, there was a, there, I think it was a Japanese band called, La- no, no, Loudness wasn't them. Loudness was um, a German band, I think. Okay. Yeah, right? But um, with Udo Dirkschneider. Okay. Like, heavy, heavy, <laughs> yeah. heavy, heavy, right? But, uh, uh, but, okay, so you were, I think we were in the same genre because I, I was interested. I had long hair. Probably till about mid high school, and then I just sort of 
just cut it. And now I don't yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm losing it, so it's gone, right? But, I mean, it's, but, I mean, but sometimes it seems it, like so it would be easier. Like, this sense of envy, like, it's like you have this long hair. But how do, you, yeah. how do you keep it in 2019? There must be people every day, uh, and, I'm, and I hope I'm, like, I'm just, I'm speaking totally as a friend, right? I'm yeah, just like, yeah. there's people every day saying, like, you know, you, you got long, you, you got to cut your hair, man. Like, it's too long. Yeah, I've had, sure, I've had that. But I think it's become less and less over time. Like, now that I'm a, kind of, a, I have a PhD, I'm a scientist, <laughs> I work a scientist. at a university, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. there's well, less I think it's leeway. Cool. I think it's really unique, <laughs> and I think it's awesome. Um, yeah. I just, I thought there was a story that, you know, maybe you played in a band, and you had another, like, I thought you were like, you know, scientist by day, <laughs> rock star at night, or no, something, no, you're no. doing something. But no. I played in a jazz band, but that, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. It. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, anyways, it was on my mind for the first time. <laughs> so I said, "This yeah. guy, this guy's the Indian Fabio, right?" And I'm sure people have said that to you, like the because yeah. you got the and it's mostly the locks, right? My older sister has called me. She lived in Italy for eight or nine years, yeah. and she came back. She's like, "You're like a Fabio." Or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've had on literally windy, the phrase "Indian Fabio" on, a, in, on a windy day. On a windy day, <laughs> yeah, you'd yeah. be that guy. So, <laughs> anyways, sorry, I just I no, don't, no, no, it's all good. So, so you, so, so music's your big thing, your big hobby outside of. Uh, yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. Kind and of always has been. Probably always will be. Right. Uh, I think I, I'm more of a listener than a player now because I live in an apartment. Yeah. My instruments right, are right, right. brass instruments and percussion instruments. Oh yeah, so they're you louder. Can't, yeah, right. you can't do much. <laughs> can't really play that in an apartment. That's fascinating. Um, and right now, um, like, should you do solo work? Like, could you play an instrument solo and do like a five minute piece and make like, for example, I play drums. Yeah. But yeah. you know, it's kind of hard banging drums around without basically sounding like you're doing a drum solo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I used to do a lot of solo work. Nowadays, like I don't really play that much anymore. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I wouldn't be that comfortable. <laughs> doing no, no, I get it. I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, yeah, I used to like I was a trumpet soloist for a long ah, time. That's cool. And then, very cool. Sorry, I just had to ask. No, you. no, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's yeah. Cool. I didn't realize you were actually into that the similar kinds of music. Oh, always was. Yeah, yeah. Rock, I, I was. Like I, was into, I was into. I was into. I was into. I mean, Zepp, back then the originals, the Zeppelin, Van Halen, Metallica, Black Album. I think it was 1990. Like around then, it was like. Game changer yeah, yeah. for the kind of stuff, and then eventually, just you know, like I, I love, I basically love any type of music, quite frankly. Okay, um, you know, I've gotten more into popular stuff now, just because you know, everyone around me listens to it. But right, yeah. I'm very, very, you know, you grew up in Hamilton, you're gonna like Metallica, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Tool came by a couple of years. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, all the great bands, right? right. And even the hair bands like Motley Crue. I mean, and right, AC, yeah, yeah. classic ACDs was not hair band, but ACDs all those bands. Yeah, no, no. I'm, yeah, it's funny that we we have that in common. <laughs> of all things, I right? just wish I had the hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, good to see you, man. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. <laughs> Thanks for watching Orca Pod. Stay tuned for more episodes.